0: Welcome to Thrive, mental health and the art of living free. I'm your host, Melissa Clark, a professional counselor in the Dallas area with the passion for helping you to overcome challenges, process painful emotions, and understand your God-given identity. Thank you so much for being here. I believe listening to this podcast will leave you feeling excited, educated, and empowered. We are in the middle of a series about helping you end your year well. And starting the new year off well, I feel very passionate about this. I I don't know about you, but I feel like 2021 was an absolute blur and we're so focused on 2020 and now the new year is happening. And so I feel like 2021 is kind of like the forgotten middle child. And so I really want to help you to really think about this season as one of empowerment and what you can do. And so last week we talked about kind of clearing the soil, if you will, and letting go of disappointments. And we talked about how when you let go of disappointments, you're able to process things and write things down. Gain some perspective, forgive yourself. If you did not listen to that counselor on call episode, I recommend that you check it out after today's episode. Say we are talking about taking the next right step. So after you let go of that disappointment, it's about finding out what you can do. Oftentimes we have so many different options that we get stuck in analysis paralysis. You know what I'm talking about? You go to Pinterest, you go to Instagram, you watch some TikToks, you're trying to figure out what to do. And so we are sitting down today with Paige Ryan, who happens to be a star of an HGTV show. She's so amazing. She's the author of several different books. I'll tell you a little bit more about her in a moment. But we talk about ways to take that next right step, especially whenever you have encountered defeat or disappointment, discouragement. I feel like in one way or another, we have all experienced those things in the past few years. And even before the pandemic, we experienced defeat, disappointment, discouragement. And so how can we take that next right step together? So a little bit about Faith. She is a wife, mother, author, and designer who believes our homes are sacred spaces. She had a television career on HGTV with the hit show Hidden Potential. And she's the author of the book, Love the House You're In, 40 Ways to Improve Your House and Change Your Life. Without further ado, here's my conversation with Paige. I want to welcome to the show, Paige Ryan. Paige, welcome.
1: Thank you so much for having me today.
0: I'm so excited about our conversation. I'd love to start out with just a little bit hearing about your story. You know, you've been on HGTV. Fun fact, so have I. I just remember as we were chatting before. (laughs) I was on a little episode uh, while I was in college about the college life and college apartment. So that just flashed back before my eyes, but tell me about yourself, tell us about yourself and your story. And then I'd love to hear about just your past and where you are now.
1: Sure. So uh, that's a good format. And actually in the 12 step tradition, which is from once I come, it's my experience, what it was like then, what it's like now and how I got there. You know, I I did have a career on HGTV It was really interesting and, you know, kind of flashy. It actually taught me that I have more to say than can fit in a TV show. (laughs) So I had to begin to write. I have a real passion for the home. I always have. I was the Girl Scout that wanted to stay in the cabin and move the furniture around when we went camping. But I've always had a passion for the home and, and the TV experience was great, but ended and, and it's okay. I, you know, and, and I'm married and I have four children and I live outside of Washington, D.C. And I have a career that I love and I'm very grateful, but it just wasn't always like this. And <laughs> I, you know, my early 20s was in just a really rough spot. I had, think I had been seeking and searching God my whole life in all the wrong places, through food, through then through alcohol, then through inappropriate relationships. Then I really thought he, maybe he's in my credit card. He's not there. Um, So many, many 12-step programs later that I, many of which I still attend today, I came to know that God was actually deep into surrender and into just coming to him and that he's the only one that can really fill that God-sized hole that I tried to put so many other things into. I want to share my story simply because God's seeking all of us because he was looking for me, uninterested in him or anything else to me, I think it's a testimony. He's really pursuing all of us all the time. I really believe that.
0: That is so true. Thank you for sharing that. I love recovery stories because there's something very honest about saying I've hit my rock bottom and now I have to do something different. And there's such Mm -hmm. humility that comes with saying, I, this is my problem and I don't have to stay stuck there, but I need to move forward.
1: Indeed. And a lot of times some of these deepest problems are problems in isolation or they're secret, or there's something that we feel so, so much shame about and really just coming out into the light and taking the risk that you will be known in not a positive way. This <laughs> is like, before I did anything in my life, I became bare in front of strangers about how I binged on junk food, about how I drank myself until I blacked out, about how I you know, laid my credit card down so much that I was in more debt than I can ha- I could handle, more than my parents could help me. I mean, it was, I did these things and that was sort of on my resume. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like yeah. and, and bearing that to people. And for me, that the 12-step programs format I don't know I still don't know why but it, I, mean, I know why but I, I it's uncanny that I ended up there because i I would have never said that oh yeah I'm a group person or i'm I I'm, I'm, wasn't interested in spirituality at all but that's where I ended up and I so it was it was just a fellowship and even like a a, a second chance of growing up that I really needed
0: how did you know that you had a problem like did you have like that rock bottom moment or how did you know that I need help and I need that confession and to, to, to do the steps. What was that moment for you?
1: I think that that answer was tugging at me for many years. I mean, I, I shouldn't, I, I, the truth is I came in very young and it, as we discussed earlier, I'm so grateful that I finally, you know, the Lord dragged me in at 23 uh, years old to some of my first meetings. And when I was living in Chicago, but I think for years I had had this tug that you know, my problem with food is more than a diet could ever handle. You know, my problem with food is more than a magazine article on how to lose weight or manage weight could ever handle. My experience with food was violent and extreme. And I don't want to, I'm not trying to be dramatic, but it was not 10 pounds here and there. It was eating to soothe deep, deep, deep feelings and, and to try to cover up so much that was unresolved. Yeah. And so it it was just, it was clear to me, even as a young person, this is, I don't know anybody else who's doing this to this degree. And also just that the duality of a deep and profound hunger, which was completely unfillable. And then also an adherence to this idea that I had to be perfect on the outside. So those two are, they're tough bedfellows. That's like a Jekyll and Hyde. That's like someone that wants to eat and drink everything and sort of behave and whatever the consequences of alcohol may be, it's fine, you know, in that moment. And then on the flip side, deeply, deeply wanted to be, Successful, presentable, respected. (laughs) I mean, really wanted that. Living in that duality was just hell because you can't have both. You know, one of them is going to win. And I think for me, when I moved to Chicago after I graduated from college, I wanted a new life. I wanted a new start. I was going to come away. I was going to come back completely successful, cleaned up everything. And away from family, away from structure, away, I mean, completely alone, it really unraveled even worse than I thought it could. Um, and I wasn't able to fix this by myself. And I, I was. If thought, I thought I was lonely before, like it was being totally new. And in the twelve step tradition, we call that a geographic cure. Or like we're thinking, well, I'll just move somewhere else and start new. <laughs> to me, it exposed just the depth of like where I was, and so I had to kind of drag myself to a program. I thought twelve step programs were just accepting whatever sort of habits or problem you have, just accepting it with you know, and just living with it. But it actually is a it's a program for living. To first put down your substance behavior or problem. And then take lifetime to heal the rest. I mean, only the you know the first step says we're powerless over alcohol or food or we put it down. But then the rest of the work is working on ourselves. And I never thought that my relationships with my parents or my you know relationship with with different adults or my sibling relationship or my friendships or anything like that would have anything to do with what I put in my body. But for me, it did. Being a sensitive person, there was just that kinship and that relationship between how I treated myself. And then what I was eating over, if that makes sense.
0: It makes so much sense. And from a counseling perspective, I mean, that's the work that I do. And that's why I love counseling so much is it's understanding the why behind the what, you know, my son right now, he's having problems in school focusing. And so instead of shaming him for having that problem, talking about the fight flight response, Mm -hmm. And it sounds like you're feeling overwhelmed. And it sounds like we need some, you know, you need some strategies to help you. And I think sometimes when it comes to, you know, being adults, we, we do live in that duality for so long. We're so used to shaming ourselves that we look at our behaviors and we just think bad.
1: First of all, I, I should say that I, I've used a lot of therapy. In fact, I actually just began therapy this week with a new person.
0: And my opener,
1: my opener to her was. I've been in therapy my whole life, so <laughs> I, I have gotten my story down to a ten-minute nugget. And um, <laughs> you're like, another,
0: "Buckle up! I'm gonna get through it." <laughs>
1: like, there's a lot, but just let me. Uh, no, but but no, so forth. But, but to your point, food and alcohol and chasing the attention of men and spending money without any connection to whether I had any. To me, those were not the problem; they were my solution how I was going to make it. And I actually, have a friend, like a mentor said to me something, she said, you know, that was the way you coped with life. And I just feel like that in many ways, recovery is learning how to cope with life. Life doesn't get easier or better or nicer. <laughs> it's just a way to manage it and live in it without hurting myself. And so I think it's, it's almost like an infantile response that I, I wasn't able to move on from.
0: I like that. Sometimes we don't really, we don't know what we don't know.
1: Yeah, we don't know. We don't know. And some of us are built with, you know, greater sensitivities to life. You know, we there's a joke that we, it's not a good joke, but it's <laughs> a joke about in twelve steps that, uh, you know, sometimes like the car doesn't start and a normal person goes in the house and calls a friend, but like the car doesn't start and somebody like an addiction recovery goes and calls suicide prevention. I mean, it's a terrible joke because I'm very sensitive to suicide and certainly don't joke about it. But the meaning of it is that sometimes we take life's ups and downs. In a really deep way, you Mm -hmm. know, and I, I certainly can relate to that and it's learning a practice of trying to take the inevitable ups and downs and discomforts of life and trying to take them and apply different tools different ways of thinking. And certainly in my parenting, I'm trying to teach my kids that, but it's hard.
0: It is (laughs) hard. (laughs) It's hard because we see ourselves in our kids and it's like, oh no, no, let's, let's, let's not do that.
1: (laughs) Oh yes. We see ourselves in our children. That, that is true, but we get a second chance. You know, we get a second chance to, you know, communicate maybe things we didn't hear or things that we needed to hear. I mean, it's very moving to even think about that, but that is our chance in parenting.
0: You mentioned ups and downs, and I think we're all experiencing ups and downs in this world of COVID. And I feel like, you know, right when we get used to one normal, something else happens and it just, I, I myself have felt like 2021 has been a blur. Mm -hmm. I feel like it's like the middle child between 2020 and 2022, it just kind of forgotten. And we're so focused on 2020 that it's like hard to me to believe that we're like wrapping up this year. And I felt really burdened for not letting another year go by this year was a blur and that's okay. And 2020 was what it was. We just, were trying to survive, Mm -hmm. but I I love the idea and you, you talk about it in your new book, but taking the next right step. And I feel like taking that next right step in the midst of loss and hardship is really hard to do. And so I wanted to hear your thoughts about what do you think about that in terms of loss and getting back up and, and taking that next step, even bringing in that, that home, those home analogies, which I love. I know my listeners do as well. So talk to us about taking that next step after loss and why that's hard and what we can do to move forward. Well, I
1: I love that question. Thank you. And I think this is a little bit at the heart of the book is that there is such a parallel between next right action or next right step in our spiritual lives, in our personal and emotional growth lives, and then also in the home. And I, and for me, I, one of the reasons this book topic appealed to me so much is that we have a lot of emotionality wrapped up in the home. And oh, yeah. I work, I hear with people from people every day who are distraught about the state of their home. And I often think it's usually like, sometimes we put some of our upset on the, on the home, you know, we may be frustrated in other areas or something. There seems to be a relationship there, but I think in, in our personal life, in the home life, in a, in a parenting situation, which, which seems very dire, Next right action is like my credo. I didn't come up with it, it's, it's <laughs> stolen, stolen, but it's like, what is something I can do right now? It's a very small step. It is for me being immobilized and paralyzed, yeah. For me, it's a little bit like death, it's the worst spot for me. I don't want to be there. That's what my disease did for me. I was immobilized in my apartment, binging and purging or drinking myself to drink. I was not acting out my alcoholism in bars. I was doing it at home, you know. So being immobilized and being frozen, I think is sometimes just like in the home, you're surrounded by clutter, your kitchen's falling apart, and you're just like, oh my gosh, I need everything new. You're not going to go from that Mm -hmm. moment to new kitchen in one minute. It may be you're going to take a drink of water, you're going to make a lift you know Mm -hmm. you know i mean being lost and you know i agree with you this time is so weird because it was we did nothing and now we're doing everything but it's still not normal and we've got sometimes in our county just reinstated a mask mandate Mm. (laughs) for tomorrow and we're kind of like what you know so I I yeah, there is a lot of blurriness in our sense of time is all. But I think what is the next right action? So my son may have to play basketball with a mask on this week. Okay, what's the next right action? We're gonna find a good thin one. <laughs> you know? Yeah. We're gonna, like we're gonna we're gonna what is our next right action? And plan of action is another big tool as well for just getting out of being lost. You know, you don't have to do all the things, but let's plan what we can do. You know? Mm-hmm. Great houses are made over many, many years, decades. Recovery is, I'm in recovery 25 years. (laughs) It had to be, and there have been times even in 2020 where I felt like I was starting over.
0: Yeah, like I got over.
1: I did get in a rough place. I mean, there has never been as good a time to overeat or drink than the countries in lockdown. Come on, I mean, I I think I, I was not immune to that. And I'm grateful that I had the structure of the program to leap back into, but I certainly faltered a lot. But it was next, what is the next right action? I think for me, the, the magic bullet, the next right action that involves people. I think connection is the cure. So many of what, what I didn't make that up either. <laughs> I saw that one too. But connection is the cure. So it, can I pick up a phone call and call a friend? Can I see if I can get on the waiting list for a therapist? I know for some people, it's you know, hard to, to get in to be seen. Can I um, call a friend and just say, well, who did your kitchen? Can I, you know, what is the the next right action that involves another human being to invite them into where I am? And sometimes it might even be, can I just, can we just talk about how frustrated I am in my house, which I guarantee probably has tentacles into maybe the marriage or the home life or the financials. I mean, just the, the home frustration is usually a layer cake of so many different things. But I think just that connection, if we allow that connection, that is a big leap out of the hole, I think.
0: I agree. Yeah. You're saying so much good stuff one thing I want to go back to is what can I do? And that was one thing, you know, I, I'm a, I'm a, a, st- a studier of mental health, uh, both for myself. I'm very honest about my mental health journey and struggles and, and at being from, I grew up in church. I like to joke that I was born on a Saturday and church on a Sunday. So I've heard a lot of bad information about mental health, you know, through that experience, which I'm super grateful for. I, I love the church and, and I'm so grateful for my upbringing. But, you know, there's been a lot of bad information with it. And a lot of times we hear that anxiety is a lack of faith. And I think through this experience, I haven't been able to formally prove it. But anxiety is really about a lack of power. And when we focus on what we can do to me, when you said that, I was just thinking anxiety buster, because when we get paralyzed, we really do get stuck. And then when we get stuck, those of us go back to our old behaviors and habits, whatever those may be. Maybe it's Netflix binge, maybe it's bars, maybe it's boys, maybe it's girls, maybe it's this, maybe it's that. It's all something, but that connection really is secure. And, and I'm curious about like your own faith journey because our ultimate connection as believers is to God and what that process has been like for you. Cause I know that you, you were brought to faith later in life. And so I'm just kind of curious about what that has looked like for you to connect with god in the midst of deep isolation and feelings of failure and shame and all of it
1: yeah, i love that question thank you for asking me that because i i like to say i, w- I used to be a pagan with an attitude <laughs> <And then laughs> now i'm somebody who like i think uh, you know jesus is my king morning noon and morning noon and night so i, um, I mean, he's uh, the center of my world and and, and the best guy i I've, I've ever had and i've had a lot of mothers and i think as i said i mean my parents are wonderful people they brought us up with such generosity and such heart they didn't have they couldn't give us what they didn't have and faith as a tradition in, in a christian faith had really died generations before and i think it had died in the name of progress and denied the name of, of trying to achieve and as you know immigrant families that wanted what other families had and a bigger house and a bigger yard and and less financial pressure and so the the, the thought was our children and education and creating what i think the creation of the superhuman was that was my generation. I I really think I was um, really born and bred to be superhuman. I was a division one athlete. I went to an Ivy league school. Grades were pretty much everything. And, but also, you know, popularity and how I look and all that kind of stuff. It was all that outer stuff was like, like a rocket that somebody was hopefully going to shoot off. And then I was going to land and end up in a place of success and perfection and all that kind of stuff. I always joke around that nobody ever talked about heaven, but they did talk about
0: Princeton (laughs) 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 <laughs> <laughs> that was the pinnacle I guess
1: <laughs> sounds I mean sounds very similar um no but I and again I understand I have so much empathy for why they did what they did and how they ended up and again they were not they didn't have a lot of faith to give but I think so when I came to this place of unbelievable surrender and powerlessness I mean that is that describes addiction and you know, brokenness writ large when you're broken from the about behavior or something. It's a total powerlessness. And what I was invited to consider, and again, it was a very, it's a very gentle, gentle invitation in the twelve. steps. please consider that there's something more powerful than you. That's it. That is the seed of faith. There. What do you think causes waves to turn? When you drop a pencil under the ground, what do you think pulls it to the ground? Mm. Um, what What causes the leaves to turn color and change the? when someone who has been built and bred to be a superhuman and that achievement is everything. And you can feel very powerful mm-hmm. as a student, as an athlete, as a woman, I wanted to be a banker, like all this stuff, you kind of, to be humbled in that way was a very new concept, but it was also very welcoming. And very, it was also a break. It's, it's very freeing. And then the second part of that is that that power actually wants you to be happy and whole. And so I always joke around that God We think we're anonymous in those programs. I, uh, Overeaters Anonymous, Alcoholics Anonymous, (laughs) (laughs) anonymous. we think we're anonymous and we are to an extent, but it's God who's anonymous because God loves us so much. And I could cry as I say this, Mm -hmm. he loves us so much. He doesn't mind if millions of people go through those programs uh, programs and never say his name and never step foot in church. That is, he wants us whole that much Mm -hmm. that some of us, he has to meet that way. And as I said, I mean, if your mom, if your parents don't bring you to church, sometimes God has to bring you in through the back door. And yeah. So I was definitely kind of a backdoor person. And my parents, you know, we did go to church a few times, but I think it wasn't it wasn't built into the fabric of life and and the culture and the worldliness. I actually just heard in a podcast that anxiety is inextricably linked to the attachment of things in the world. Yeah. And so I, that's all I knew was attachment, attachment to going to a certain college, attachment to having a certain athletic career, attachment to a certain body. I wanted that Victoria's Secret body. I
0: wanted her. I wanted a- president. That was the Princeton of bodies, huh? Yeah, I wanted those two things. A smart um, a smart Victoria's Secret <laughs> Studious. <rich,
1: victorious, laughs> studious, rich, well-respected yeah. Victoria's Secret underwear model. It, that was that was what we were looking for. So I, I'm kind of going on and on here, but I, I think it's it's that higher power sense of, of grasping onto something that not only is bigger than us but once are good for us. And that to me was just that was new. you know that I, I had heard of God, didn't believe in him, but I why would he be interested in whether i eat 50 dollars worth of junk food tonight or not? <laughs> you know mm-hmm. why, nobody cares. Um, he does care. Because that binge that night kept me isolated, alone, dark and depressed. And it actually is a form of slow suicide that if I continue yeah, to do yeah. that, it strips me out of life. And he has plans for me. And there's, it may be for this conversation today, that leap of faith of believing that Lord, the Lord cares for us is a, is a big one.
0: And I think an important one, because if if we don't believe that God is good, then I think that's really isolating and disorienting. But to know oh, that his comfort is there and that his provision is there, his plan is there. I think that gives us purpose. It does. And it may be beyond what we thought
1: mm-hmm. you know, maybe, or, or even what our parents wanted for us. You know, I'm being open to God's will. I mean, for me, my favorite prayer is I will not mind be done. You know, I, I want this, but I know <laughs> I actually don't know what's best for me. Mm-hmm. And that's my life proves that I don't know what's best for me. So there's things I want, but I'm open to your will, Lord, because you've always known better.
0: Mm-hmm. Always. I think that comes with age, don't you think? Yeah. No, I think it does. But the older yeah. one gets, it's kind of like, okay, I, have n- I I actually have no idea what, what's the best idea here. You tell me. Well,
1: especially as you see, maybe what you've wanted doesn't pan out. I mean, I wanted to be a famous HGTV star. I wanted to be on the cover of Arc <laughs> Digest. And I, I never saw myself coming to faith, certainly, or ever writing a book about faith. I mean, that was, that's to me, it's still, Lord, this is, you got a sense of humor. <laughs> <laughs> hilarious Uh, no it is it is a humility that comes with age that lord you're jesus is you're at the wheel and 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 just show me your will and and to do that we've we've got to be quiet we've got to be i can't be active in any of my stuff and i'm not going to hear him Mm -hmm. um and that's some of the things that that keep me going on in in a daily way because it's not over i mean i don't this is a lifelong journey for sure
0: amen that's that's so true and I, i love that idea of just slow and steady And when I think about, I'm a, I'm a solution oriented therapist, meaning I like to look at the problem. I believe when we know the problem, then the solution is really quick to follow. Now I use lots of other kind of tools with that. But, but when I think about the problems of being able to really take it, what's the next right thing and taking those next steps, I really think about a fear of failure and then the solution to that being acceptance. Mm -hmm. And, And you write about that, about why acceptance is like really such a powerful, important step, and I was wondering if you could just share with us about that idea—that that duality of fearing fearing failure and needing perfection versus just kind of accepting where we're at mm-hmm. and what that's looked like for you.
1: Gosh, acceptance is so powerful. I mean, I had to accept that I had a horrible, wretched relationship with food, my body, alcohol, men, spending—you name it. Thank God, I never got into cigarettes or porn or anything like that. But I, well, this could go on. But <laughs> you know, acceptance had to be the foundation of, I don't have a different story. I'm not out in the world healthy right now. What I, I could look and see evidence of, of my disease all over the place. And I think that that's why the, the, the the, sort of the metaphor with the book and the home works so well, because when we're in a place that the home is not what we want it to be, we have to come to a place of acceptance of where we are, you know, and, and also what our limitations might be. And I always say, you know, there's a lot of times we have such a desire for a different kind of life yeah. that becomes a discontent with our own home. Mm-hmm. You know, we might be in a, a place where the home is full of, you know, toddler or two and a mess and um, not the time money or inclination to have, have anything different. And yet we still kind of rest in that discontent that our house doesn't look like Joanna Gaines, (laughs) you
0: know, um, or all the people we follow on Instagram.
1: (laughs) Yeah. And I think there's this great prayer I came about, which is Lord, just accept and and find joy in what I have in front of me right now, because I actually think creatively we can come up with much better solutions when we, when we're really grounded in acceptance of what we've got. Yeah. So in my work all the time, I mean, I can see things other people can't. So when, which is not, I, that, that, that's that's not a skill. It's because I'm detached from all their baggage. So when I walk into their house, I don't see that maybe they overpaid for it or that their mother doesn't like it, or I don't have any of that. So I walk into their home and they begin to tell me all the things that are wrong with it and how horrible it is. And I say, look at that window, you know, oh my goodness, this artwork that you have stacked in the corner, because you is like your life story. Let's put it up. And I can see sometimes the beauty and sometimes I think that, my the recoveries give me the gift of being able to see a great capacity for beauty, that it is not limited, first of all, first and foremost, to what the marketplace does, because the marketplace is not not on point. It's not on our side. It is constantly trying to undermine our because it wants to sell stuff. So you can't you can't Im- invite people to embrace themselves when you're trying to sell just this. <laughs> right. So the marketplace another, I don't want to get in my soapbox, but the, the, the marketplace is is so narrow. And so I'm sometimes invited to just help people see more than what they're seeing. And sometimes hearing it from me helps them see it, right? Because they say, well, if you like it, well, no, I, I do like it, but I want you to see it too, that this is beautiful. Mm-hmm. And it's okay that your mother-in-law, your realtor, your neighbor doesn't see it. You see a real invitation to trust yourself. I think as women, that's a huge part. And that's another topic, but trusting ourselves, trusting what we see. And then it, sometimes the acceptance does turn into an appreciation. I think that mm-hmm. I think that I've seen that happen. And if you're doing a renovation or you're doing a project and saying, you know, it's wonderful to say, well, let's erase the whole thing and start over. That's often not even a remote possibility. <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. it's just not um, just like the self. I mean, we're not starting over. We have to take what we've been given, what the limitations God's given us and see them as tools and gratitude to build something else
0: mm-hmm.
1: um, in a different direction. So we go on and on with the metaphor. Yeah, so I well. love
0: that. Well, yeah, I keep going with that. I want to hear what, because that was one thing I was really cu- curious about when reading the book was about what does it look like to renovate with ourselves? And what are those small steps? You know, we we can't go out and do a new a new build with ourselves. So, what does that look like to renovate ourselves?
1: So, I think uh, for me, it's to remain teachable in as much as I possibly can. Because although I feel like I was like kind of almost like re-reparented or reared in the twelve steps, uh, that's ongoing. But then I've also learned so much in um, in therapy. I've also been open. And then to me, for me, Christianity was. I was only open to it after I was in recovery for a long time and after I had been in therapy for a long time. And I really was able to be quiet and open enough to hear the voice of God Mm -hmm. in my heart and and, and hear him calling me and and just actually kind of revealing himself to me. I wasn't, if he was going to say he was Jesus in my twenties in a meeting, I'm like, forget it. That's not, it's going to be a hallucination. But when I was ready for it, I was open to it. So it's constantly being teachable and open. Even if it's things that you were close to before, I was never open to scripture that's an understatement. I was never open to any religion, but even as a Christian, I was like, wow, the Bible slowly, but surely people, women, I really respected were reading the Bible, mm-hmm. you know, and women really, I expect were re- were referring to scripture. And that's a big tenet of 12 steps is find out, you know, observe who has what you want, not the car in the house, but observe what they have in their countenance in mm-hmm. their, in their character and watch what they do and ask them what they do and that's a big thing and and copy what they do i mean that's a, just a big sort of you know having a mentor that you're willing to say okay i want to i want to be like this person i want her peace i want her the way she mothers and the and her i i'm interested and i couldn't deny that there was something there with scripture and i you know i said bring that up and Victoria Dursach, who's my co-author was constantly referring scripture in our conversations and i thought oh my goodness like like i got i don't know any of this but bit by bit i opened my bible and here I am, you know, in my forties, like reading scripture for the first time. And, and by the way, seeing myself, it isn't a foreign thing of thousands, thousands of years ago. I'm seeing myself and my story there. And it's, to me, that is renovation of the self. It's mm. being open to what is next. You know, I, 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 have no doubt that that's, that's where God wants me to be in his word.
0: Wow. That sounds so freeing as you're sharing. I just feel just like comforted and just lighter. Um, because I think sometimes we think, okay, I have to knock out walls and do this and do that. And all these like really big, hard, heavy things. I need to stop doing this, start doing that, but sitting down and and reflecting and praying, talking to a friend that feels very easy. That feels very doable to me.
1: And I think it's just being willing. And sometimes be, being willing to make change sometimes you got to pray for the willingness yeah sometimes, the want to want <laughs> I'm not even there yet and mm-hmm. so a simple prayer and I, I think I'll because I came to God in such a again a, a non-denominational non-christian not, it was it was I really think he's there I really believe the Lord built the program but he it's so little is asked of us so there was no sense of am I praying right because you know the serenity prayer God gave me the great acceptance to oh my gosh, grab me the sanity to accept the things I cannot change those prayers. A couple of them were, but most of it, it was like, dear God, please help me. You know, it was very, very simple. There was nothing, no sense of like, well, am I doing it right? Or these people over here doing it, you know, this way, it was a real open invitation. And that's our hope with the book is like, no matter where you are, Mm -hmm. God's still inviting you. Um, the church is, this is my favorite quote again. I didn't come up with it the church is a, uh, sorry, it's a hospital for sinners. (laughs) <laughs> not a hotel for saints. That's right. Once we see it that way, we can come in with any ailment. We're not supposed to come in fixed.
0: Yeah. We, we, we never fully are. Yeah. We, I mean, we, I think we get healthier and more whole, but this side of heaven, we're always going to be a sinner. Yeah, and we're always yeah. going to need Christ. We're always going to need healing. That, oh. And that's, that's the sad part. I, I, I have the privilege of working with people for years and years, not everybody, but some people, you know, they, will leave for a couple of years and come back. And and they'll often say like, I I never thought it would take this long. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, I know me neither. And I can't tell you that day one, that actually this is probably going to be like a decade long, decades long, lifetime long pursuit, because that feels very overwhelming. We don't have to struggle in the same way, but we're still learning about ourselves. And when things like pandemic happens or job losses happen or end of marriages, whatever diagnosis, it can often throw us back. And so I love this idea of having these rhythms and steps to go back to that way we don't have to keep discovering what did work for us. And so, um, I love this idea of acceptance and willingness and and praying and connection because all of those things are, they're accessible to us. You don't need a certain amount of money in your bank account or certain connections. We all have that at our disposal.
1: I was just gonna say, I love that you brought the word rhythm up because I'm someone that's very resistant to routine. I't <laughs> but rhythm is something more accessible. And I do think it's our job as Christians or just adults to develop something, a rhythm in our day so that when we do have the loss, you know, the pandemic and pandemic was a big one, it messed up everybody's rhythm. But when we have some kind of structure that it just stays in place no matter what, and it may start very, you wake up in the morning and you say a quick prayer. You know, I have a pretty elaborate and extensive daily program, not because I'm holy or great, but because I need it. Yeah. I mean, I really like, I told my husband, I'm like 28, 29, 30 hours a day because I got a lot of stuff to do to work on myself and things that make me feel whole I'm doing it right before we got on the phone, fo- on the phone here today, mm-hmm. that just it's, it's daily work. And I've been at this a long time, you know, mm-hmm. but, but I think there's an acceptance of that too. The acceptance, because I'm now so grateful that I'm on this path that I, I'm okay that it's, I'm okay that it's for the long haul. You know,
0: I, I actually, you start liking the medicine, so to speak. It doesn't yes. it it become mature. It's like, actually, no, this is, this feels good. This feels so much better than doing that over there. That over there may seem easier, but it left me with destruction. And this over here takes a little bit of effort, but it actually empowers me and energizes me and connects me.
1: I also see the fruits already in some areas. So, you know, once you put down all the behaviors and stuff, you know, your relationships really suck. (laughs) (laughs) It's like the reasons why we acted out or something stripped away. It's hard to be in relationship with other human beings. You know, it's hard. And so I, but I, my work on myself has helped other relationships. I always joke around and say, you know, tough relationships have gotten better because I'm different. Now the other person might be different too, but they weren't going to get better until I was different. And I still have tough relationships in my life. I still have relationships I have to take to God and say, I cannot, I don't know what to do. So change me, bless them. But also, but the change me doesn't happen in five minutes. It happen, It is a decades thing. It is something that takes a long time and daily work and trust and, and knowing my side of the street. I mean, that's a big thing too, that if I have a tough relationship, I have to focus on why the relationship is crappy from my, like in terms of my contribution, You know, where am I falling short? um in something that doesn't feel right because if I focus on why the other person is terrible the whole time I'm not going anywhere with that <laughs> that's not I'm just not going I mean I can step away to care to protect myself or to care for myself and there's boundaries and all that but in a relationship that is I'm not going to walk away from that's in my life I just got to focus on my side of the street and, I, and it takes a long time to do that
0: it does this is, this is all so good where can we find you talk to us about where we can find you online and your book and all the things
1: well, I love to integrate, believe it or not, everything we're talking about into my work on the home. I mean, I really do. I, I think there's a place for it to talk about our journeys, our struggles, our journey with God into the home. And so on Instagram at my name, which is a funny name is spelling Ryan, but it's funny um, where that's where I am. And I tell, you know, I try to be get on there as bare as possible with my kids, um, plain faced. you know, just this is what it looks like. Um, and talking about all the, all these journeys. I'm spending probably too much time there, but that's
0: right. <laughs> and tell us about the, the the name of the book is Revived and Renovated. And we can buy that wherever, I'm assuming where books are sold.
1: Yes, wherever books are sold it's on Amazon. We have our own website, actually, where we have episodes of Victoria and I discussing all these topics. Um, we're on YouTube too. But yeah, and, and we just want it to be an invitation for anybody, wherever they are on their faith journey or their house journey.
0: Exactly. Well, thank you so much. Thank you, Melissa. I hope you loved that episode as much as I did. Thank you so much for joining me this week on Thrive Mental Health and the Art of Living Free. Make sure to visit my website where you can subscribe to get the show notes and be sure to subscribe on Apple, Stitcher, wherever it is that you get your podcasts. That way you never miss an episode. And while you're at it, if you'll help me out by adding some stars to the rating and tell a friend about the show, have a great week.